Tonight's episode is brought to you by Scream Queen Shop. Imagine surviving a night of terror at the hands of some murderous madman, only to later discover that he's the one who gets put on a t-shirt. The Scream Queen Shop is your destination for clothes and accessories that celebrate the final girls from all your favorite horror movies in a 90s fashion doll aesthetic. Trade in those black t-shirts for some color and pay tribute to characters like Laurie Strode of Halloween, Sydney Prescott of Scream, and new for 2020 holiday season, Jess Bradford from the Barb Clock slasher classic, Black Christmas. Promo code It's Me Billy for free standard shipping until December 25th. Again, that promo code is It's Me Billy. And this episode is sponsored by RLJE Films. From the producers of Mandy and Color Out of Space comes Arch Enemy. Joe Manganello stars as Max Fist in this fast-paced, visually arresting superhero tale from writer-director Adam Egypt Mortimer. Arch Enemy hits the big screen in select theaters and drive-ins as well as on-demand and digital HD today. Head to archenemyfilm.com to find the theater nearest you. Hashtag Arch Enemy. Tonight's episode is also brought to you by Fangoria. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released unto the world. And it's been over 40 years and Fangoria is better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusively, carefully cared... Sorry. When we do this one again, you said unto the world. It's into the world. So just do it again. Make it your own. But into the world. It's not unto it. And and the child screaming in the background... We might want to tone him down just a touch. Uh, he was born unto the world, but Fangory came into the world. You come over, you keep Strum occupied, and I will read this. Okay. Tonight's episode is also brought to you by Fangoria. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and Fangoria is better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want you to experience and be surprised. But we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter promo code COLORS, C-O-L-O-R-S, to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Again, that promo code is COLORS. of the dark episode number five i am rebecca mckendry your co-host along with elric kane i have a screaming kid in the background did y'all hear that nothing new years of <laughs> it feels like we're all screaming internally i think as we wrap this year we're how many de- yeah how many depression naps are you up to a day i'm thinking about bumping it up to two at this point i'm not taking enough that's the problem i'm being worked to the absolute core in this last few weeks and it's insane so i need one i'm gonna take a good wow. week off everything Soon. I have definitely reached a point where I make it to about one o'clock every afternoon. And then I'm like, I'm just done with the world. And then I go and I lay down for a half an hour. And then it's like a power nap half the time. I don't even fall asleep. But then I get back up and I'm like, I can deal with humanity again for at least another couple hours 
just to get it to this evening when I can, you know, sit on the couch and watch movies and stuff my face with popcorn. And thus sums up my current existence. Yes, people without kids don't, might not realize that your day doesn't start till they're asleep, and that's getting later. So that's oh about ten God, o'clock yeah. now for me. So therefore, my life's really beginning much too late. But you know, I never thought I suffered from that like seasonal disorder thing where like you get sad when it gets dark until that happened while we've been in quarantine, and then all of a sudden I'm like, I never see daylight. Like there's, I just, oh, it's, yeah. it's just everything's darkness. So yeah, no, there's yeah, a, but but today will be a ray of sunshine. Because we are going to be talking about all things snowy and uh, holiday-ish. We're going to jump all around the map. It's going to be pretty eclectic. Uh, it should and be fun. Plus, and I do have to say, next episode is going to be our big one um, where we count down our top things of the year. So definitely um, keep an eye out for that. Right. That will we be will coming. be doing horror films, top 10 horror, but also our favorite discoveries, which is something I always get excited about. And I'm going to also include books and graphic novels. I'm doing it. I, I'm doing it. You can do whatever you want. This I'm is gonna. a year where I'm going to, I'm going to, there are no restrictions this year. You can do whatever you want. I might include some TV shows in my best new of the year, which is a question. So like, I was yeah. thinking like, and I'm going to talk to the guy point. who put Twin Peaks episode eight on his number one spot. A couple okay. Of so this one's going to be a little flexible because immediately when I started thinking about some of the best things, I was like, I really dug the third day. Like I have a feeling like that would probably venture somewhere in there. Maybe well, here in the conversation. I think we should do top 10 films and then let's do other favorite other for a couple minutes. So it could be anything, books, movies, TV, whatever you want afterwards. Okay. Let's try to do one top 10. That's movies so as people can you know build their list because i think this okay. is a year this is a year unlike others where i think people actually need more help curating including me like yeah. it's harder to know what the hell came out people are getting yeah. to the end of the year going what did i miss you so know? yeah that has even come up even just today scott wampler um who hosts the fine fangoria podcast Kingcast, um posted up his list today and all of a sudden i was like what the hell is spontaneous which is on his list. And That's I just top of mind down. to watch. Top of mind to watch for the last few weeks. So I it looks watch like your that. kind of thing. It looks like something I felt like you read a graphic novel years ago where you mentioned something about teenagers who exploded. And that's what this movie is. People are like exploding. Um, spontaneously combusted. Well, that's the plot of Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 4, The Initiation. Yeah, but this um, is a little but... more like erratic. Well, we'll get there. Don't, okay. don't, don't spoil things already. Uh, but just hold on to your hat. Uh, but yeah, no, I do think this is a year where it's important to point people to stuff. And uh, so we'll have a fun episode. And it also will give me a week in between to also look for more stuff that we both must like spontaneous and stuff. Um, but yeah. let's just cut to the chase because I think one of the best horror films I've seen this year in terms of pure fun, and it's a Christmas movie or a snow movie, um, came out this week from Shudder. And it came out so under the radar for most people who had never even heard of it. So it kind of was mm-hmm. a, a silent one. And I, as soon as I saw it, I thought of you because something about the style just made me go, I think you'll like it this. It was the upside down twisty man with the bag on his head covered in blood in his underwear. That's oh my God, I thought of me too. Yeah, I do think of, I do think of you when I see those kind of guys hanging around. <laughs> uh, also, it's just the sadistic elderly people. I think of you as sadistically elderly. I was also going to go with the deranged satanic ginger. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Strange. But uh, this, this movie is one that I heard about on the festival, but never i went in completely blind so if you don't want to you know obviously we won't put in big spoilers here if you don't want anything then you can always skip ahead for a few minutes but this is a movie um called anything for jackson directed by justin g dick and all i'd heard about this was that basically this guy's been directing a lot of like lifetime and hallmark christmas movies which is awesome yeah. like seriously i had so much more respect for him after i saw that 
probably just because I've been in the lifetime machine and still am. Like we're still. That, yeah, I mean, a lot of people. Are, I don't watch that stuff, but uh, you know, I'm sure it's. I've watched yours. I think it's the only one I've ever seen in the last twenty years. So, thanks. Um, thanks. I'm, so, glad I, I'm, glad, I'm glad I was your one. Uh, um, you should yeah. also wait. You watched Lucky McKee's lifetime film. I did, but I didn't know it was a lifetime movie, and I was in a festival so you know and i leaned over at the exact while you were screening it and said i promise this is a lifetime movie you're right because it was the exact it. formula the exact i think formula. it had more but gore anyway. put into it though afterwards so so did mine originally yeah, yeah. That. but um yeah so justin had done a ton of hallmark and lifetime stuff and this as far as i could tell on the list was like well again lifetime is horror um, they just call it domestic. But his were thriller. Christmas movies. I think he had yeah, made a. So it might have been life. It might have been Hallmark because that's usually who's doing all the Christmas stuff. Mm-hmm. And he had done a bunch. And I guess I don't know what the deal was, but this is such a good script that I could see people just going, "Okay, let's let's take roll the dice on them." But it's basically an yeah. old couple. He basically opens with this elderly couple who are like, you know, getting ready for the holidays, it seems. And they're just having a quiet cup of tea and talking about their day. And then it's one of those kind of long takes where they go down the hall. Something's happening off screen. And before you realize it, wait, are they kidnapping someone? And that's within the first shot. So you kind of need to go into this a little bit for us to hook you. Uh, But then it basically is about them trying to uh, use an ancient spell book to create a reverse exorcism Mm -hmm. that will bring back their lost grandson into this pregnant woman who didn't really necessarily want a baby, got pregnant from a one night stand kind of storyline. And then by doing this, they open up a port, a pathway they shouldn't have and other things have come in. And then it gets kind of bonkers. I love it because they're very much unlikely Satanists. Like they Mm -hmm. became Satanists for the sole purpose of figuring out how to bring their grandson back. And so um, getting to spend time with the Satanists, I absolutely love seeing them at the meetings and stuff like that, just because it's so very unlikely. And and it was a a fantastic little shock. Um, The acting is phenomenal in this. The dad, the, well, the older gentleman, the grandfather in it is played by the same guy who played death in supernatural, which was one of those, like made me choke on my popcorn moments where I was like, holy shit, it's death. Cause he is so. He's the dad in the witch, I think. The witch. In the witch. Yeah. I think he's in the witch. I think he's in the witch. I'll look it up while you talk. Yeah. So, um, but the acting is just amazing. It's really small. You spend almost the entire movie inside their house during the winter. So it is snowy and you can tell that they have really thought this out. And it's crazy because they have literally kidnapped somebody. They are about to do these horrible things in the name of bringing their dead grandson back. But at the same time, they are the sweetest people. Like you are siding with them the entire way through. And I have to say, even though that it is comedic, this gets so scary when they open up the portal for the other side to start coming through all of these different ghosts start kind of walking through. And that's where it gets super scary. There is some absolutely horrifying stuff. It reminds me of Annabelle comes home or the the last Annabelle where it's lots of like spooks, but different types and weird creatures. And it's so fun because of that. It's like, you don't open a toy box to a degree. Like it gets twisted comedic, like with the cop, um it, like how it keeps repeating itself like it reaches kind of a funny point where they're like yeah she's been doing that all night long but it's the same time it's just horrifying yeah so. and it's a black comedy so i think the whole movie's meant to also be funny it's playing a lot of gags and the situation's ridiculous because they're such a quiet couple but what's interesting like you said there's satanists and then there's these guys and because they're older he's a 
professional doctor. They're just better at it. They might not be traditional Satanists, but they actually have done their research, their work, and they're actually doing pretty well at it. Uh, but things take a turn, and we won't go beyond that because it, yeah. it really is. Uh, he he is in the witch, by the way, but he's not the dad. He's a different character, but he's in the witch. Um, but yeah, so it, it's it's one of those films that was exactly what I love for each year, where you get those surprises, especially on Shutter, where something pops up that you've never really heard of. You watch it, and you go, "Okay, that was a blast." Uh, which Shutter's always kind of had a good role of those mm-hmm. every year, I think. And I think it's Canadian. I'd assume it, fe- it felt like it was a Canadian film. I would assume so. Yeah, I know that the director is Canadian because yeah. that's where they shoot all the Christmas movies. It seemed like all the um, accents were Canadian, but that one I highly recommend if you're looking for like a great. It's going to tie into one of our broader themes in this episode, but it's it's perfect for this season. I think you'll have mm-hmm. a blast. Uh, unfortunately, all life has a duality. There's a yin yang to everything, and so on the same day they released that on Shutter, they also released the new Castle Freak, which I'm not going to go deep into. Uh, but I just, I just, it's been a long time since I have disliked a movie as much as this for me personally. Um, you know, there's a scene in the start of this movie where a car goes off the road, like doesn't even look like a bad accident. And the girl's rendered completely blind, like, like beyond blind where her eyes are white. And I'm just like, eh, I don't know, but I just, you know, Cardinal sin for me is dullness. And to me, this is like a hundred plus minutes. And the first 50 minutes to me just are like glacial in terms of the horror stuff. And I like the original. I'm not some purist who would say, I love Castle Freak. I always thought it was interesting. Didn't, it was okay. Yeah, I, I never mean, loved it was Castle fun. Freak. When I was yeah. like a little kid, it was fun. But even then, there was something about the Euro sensibility that I didn't really jive to in the original. And in this, you know, I mean, this one starts off in America and Massachusetts. And then they, uh, then the woman, then the girl finds out she's inherited the castle. Uh, after she's become blind, they go out to the castle. Of course, there's a Castle Freak going around in the back. Turns out her mom had lived there and, uh, had ended up dying there. And when it gets interesting, I think I could see some people really digging the last 20 minutes of this because it goes full. Even you, I think I kind of want you to watch it just to get to the end because it goes leans almost dark waters ish in mm-hmm. terms of the Lovecraft vibe. Um, but for me, I, I really didn't like it. It just did not work. There's new Fabio Frizzy music, which is cool. Again, I don't want to harp on something that didn't work for me because somebody out here is going to have a blast watching this. But, you know, it was just for me, not what I'm looking for in a movie. Also, I just I think running time so important. Like sometimes if a movie can be briefer, it, it doesn't suit being as long as it is in the middle, I think. but I've seen a lot of division on this one yeah. online this week, so I've been hesitant to watch it. There's definitely things that are a little further up on my list, yeah. and I may circle back to this one. But yeah, I I've would be shocked if you lot. liked it, but you might like the end. You might okay. think it's fun at the end. So, and there's some. There is one cool gore gag that I really liked. Um, so there's a couple. They just it just takes a while to get to. It's you know. Um, but anyway, I don't want to. I want to want to drag it down because I saw a lot of good stuff this week. So. Well, yeah, I'm going to talk about one that I saw that I absolutely loved. Like it would be on my top ten list if it came out this year. Um, so I'm doing this as a preview instead. Mm-hmm. And this is the Vigil, which played in a couple of festivals. Um, this is coming, and this is from Boulderlight, um, who has really just been you know, kind of bringing us some good stuff this year. They did Becky and um, I've just been really impressed with where they are heading this year, but Boulder light. um, And this one's coming out from IFC is doing the distro on this in early 2021. I think they said early February, but sometime coming up in the next month or two, the set um, for the vigil, a Jewish man who is a former member of this like Orthodox community has withdrawn from the Orthodox community and is now kind of down on his luck. And you find out that he's had some trauma. He went through this really traumatic event and it caused him to really withdraw from the Orthodox community. He's still in touch with them. Um, They're definitely trying to get him back in. But for now, he's just kind of down on his luck, figuring out what his next move is. 
And one of them knows that he needs money. And so they hire him as a shomer or a shoimer. I'm probably saying that wrong. Shoimer, I think. And essentially, um, this is like in the South, we have wakes where you have to sit with the body all night long, except our wakes involve like potato salad and deviled eggs and a lot of food. A shoimer is kind of the same thing where it sits with the body and this person sits with the body and says prayers all night long, very much like what we do at a wake. Um, but they, their, their job. And a lot of times, most of the time it's a family member who does this, um, or close family. But a lot of times if close family or people are not available, they will actually hire somebody and there are paid shoimers. And so this person, um, he's down on his luck. So the Orthodox community brings him back in as a paid shoimer. And it's, they warn him that, you know, they had somebody in there from the church who, you know, was that left that got really creeped out by it and left. And so they offer him a couple hundred if he'll sit there for the night. And he gets there and he's definitely kind of not taking it seriously. The widow's really weird. She's kind of creeping around the house, but she's in mourning. So maybe she's just going through some stuff. And he gets there and he's really kind of skeptical of everything and he gets really distracted. He's playing on his phone. And then all of a sudden, weird stuff starts happening. 90% of the movie is him and the body. And crazy, crazy stuff happening, escalating, escalating. That's funny. That's what I was pitched. That's what I thought Ant's movie was going to be when I went to mm-hmm. it. Because I had seen a little blurb saying, you know, about a guy who has to stay with the body for a week or something. But then that movie is totally come to daddy's. That goes off the rails. Totally different thing, yeah. No, this is pretty, it's like a straightforward monster movie, or not ghost movie, but it's definitely using a lot of Jewish folklore in it. And it's absolutely beautiful. And midway through, I was kind of like, if this goes, I was worried that it was going to go in the direction of this is all about getting him to return to the Orthodox religion. It all becomes a message, uh, a message of like, don't betray your faith. And it does not even, that's in there to a degree, but that's not where it goes. It like goes someplace much more different and beautiful. And so I really liked this movie. It has some damn creepy moments too. And the the monster, the folklore legend that they include was one I hadn't heard before, but it is definitely creepy. Um, a really, really fascinating uh, folklore legend. So yeah, that is The Vigil. And this is coming your way in early 2021. All right. Yeah, no, I want to see that one myself. So I am excited to see The Vigil in February or whenever it comes out. Uh, I figured I'll just wait till it's closer so we can talk about it again. Yeah. Uh, I saw an older one, thanks to uh, Brian Sauer. He's on a podcast called The Pure Cinema Podcast. An amazing podcast, hey, I must hey. say. Can I can I come on? Yeah, we'll see. You know, it depends if you're animalistic enough. We'll can can I can I come on? I, I just maybe, in come on. maybe in February. Maybe in February. February that's all we'll say. and that's talk all we'll about say. stuff. Uh, our first crossover, not but, uh, musicals, because somebody can't get around to watching. Yeah, we'll musicals. get there. We'll get there. We're yeah, being sure too insidery. We no one knows what we're talking about. Um, but but uh, he had been recommending a film for the last couple months to me saying it would be my bag from Vinegar Syndrome called The Caller, and it's from 87. And man, I love this, and I'm not going to say very much about it because um, it's a very simple movie. It's literally two people. It's Malcolm McDowell and somebody, Madeline Smith-Osborne, who I kind of recognized. I can't remember, and she's fantastic. And it's basically uh, this woman is getting gets gas, goes back out to her house in the middle of nowhere. She's having a shower. She's cooking dinner, doing all these things. All the while, somebody's been kind of watching her, maybe stalking her, looking at the window, that whole kind of typical buildup, you know what this movie is. Uh, finally, the door. there's a knock at the door. She's preparing dinner. She's expecting someone. 
And instead, it's this Malcolm McDowell in a trench coat. And he asks a lot of questions and says his car broke down and she doesn't believe him. And it's basically, it's almost like a stage play. Mm -hmm. It's all back and forth. And you're like, am I watching a stalker storyline or are we going to reverse the stalker storyline? And she's somehow the stalker. You're going to feel that way for 80 minutes. And the last 15, you're going to go, holy fucking shit, because this has one of the crazier twists or turns, I'd say, of what the movie is, that it's so fun for that reason. And also just the back and forth between them is fantastic. It's really just well-written, well-directed, especially because everything is, if you're ever looking to go, okay, I've got a single location film, uh, which I did think about you, for a single location film where you have to find interesting camera angles or shots to keep things moving, it, it keeps kind of, you know, utilizing its space really well. I'm not going to say much more than that. I will say it's probably streaming now, um, probably, you know, to pay for it on, I believe Amazon, but this this is a Vinegar Syndrome title. It's one of the best I saw this year, to be honest. I I really oh, like this movie, The Caller. It's a really generic, you know, name. He's he's the night caller. He knocked on the door. Malcolm McDowell's really good in it. Um, so that one's that one's really good, but I just don't want to spoil it. It's more of a thriller, I'd say, but has such a kind of crazy uh, direction it heads. Um, and then the other one I did a rewatch of, hadn't seen in about fifteen years, and man. It's like the perfect thriller for, for people looking to break in. Um, it is uh, Danny Boyle's first film, Shallow Grave, which I always oh, really God. liked. So good. Yeah, but I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I showed it to a class for we're studying thrillers. And just realizing how good it is, how smart it is in terms of basically they're completely unlikable. So for mm-hmm. like the first like two thirds of this movie, you don't really like any of the main three characters. But what's amazing, it's not until and I, was, I just it kind of came to me while I was watching it. It's not until the last shot of the movie that you even know who the protagonist really was. Because you're watching three characters and you're not really sure who you side with. You keep kind of going from character to character. But in the last shot, something happens to one of them and you kind of go, oh, yeah, that's the protagonist. But you haven't really thought about it. And I can't think of many movies I've seen that do that. But this is Ewan McGregor, one of his earliest roles. Uh, Carrie Fox, New Zealand actress, is really good. And Chris Eccleston, who was Doctor Who and a bunch of other things. And they basically are just three uh, obnoxious, very different flatmates, which is very different than roommates even though it might not sound like it, like the American approach to this, maybe New York and places is more like this, but in New Zealand, Scotland, England, it's really totally random strangers always living together with often multiple, often five, six people in, in places who really don't have any shared history. And when I've been in America, it's often been people with shared histories or friends. And it's just- a Yeah, college, it's always friends. At New York, it was it was roommate like apartment mates where you would find you would look at ads in the paper and you would go and you would interview and you'd room with people you don't know yeah and yet still the culture is different because there's something very respectful in the american way and in where i it's rough man it's crazy like i remember there's a guy we didn't really like who had moved into our apartment and one of my room flatmates left the uh, ads wanted and highlighted a couple other places and put it on the guy's bed rather than tell him he was being kicked out and i was like oh cold like there's a lot of that kind of stuff in this movie in this movie opens where they're trying to get a new roommate but not really trying they're trying to be obnoxious and uh, kind of abusive to everyone they finally get a guy he moves in really cool writer type guy and that night of course he ods on heroin and they're like oh shit what do we do we've got a dead body they discover a giant suitcase full of money and they have to make their decision which in this case is to bury a body and one of them is going to have to dispose of it and then it becomes a really tight psychological thriller um, but man, it's one of those movies that just is so tight. And if you're looking for like, how do you maximize your first movie to really make a impact like Danny Boyle clearly did? Cause he went from this to train spotting to 20, uh, you know, 24, uh, 26 days. Yeah. 
wait, 28 days later, duh. 28 um, days later. You know, so he really kept kind of uh, moving in that way. And it's it's fantastic. If you haven't seen it, I feel like sometimes these these ones go under the radar. For I mean, I saw it because it was in theaters when I'm in, you know, college, like high school or whatever. So it's kind of still fresh, but I'm sure there's some younger listeners who maybe this one hasn't even gone on their radar yet. I remember seeing this one in college and just being so impressed with it. This is back when I worked in the video store and I watched everything that they had on the shelf. And I remember seeing this as part of that. And yeah, it's yeah. it's really well directed. It's really fun. I think people will have a, a really good time watching it. Mm-hmm. That's why I decided to throw it up the top here. Excellent. Um, well, I did a rewatch as well. Not one from the 90s. Mine goes way back to 1977. I rewatched Mario Bava's Shock because I, I couldn't remember it. Like all I can remember- And you watched it right after she died. Daria Nicolodi right. died the day before. It that. was the day before. And that's what really prompted it is I was looking at people online talking about it. And then I was suddenly like, all I could remember was the jump scare. And Shock does have one of the best jump scares. It's been done- I'll say homaged in a couple of other films, like one of the Annabelles definitely winks at it heavily. Um, and I've seen that gag in a few other places. But not as not, emotionally as the not way they use it. as successful. Yeah. Like they, it is intense in this movie. And still, if you ever look for like lists of like best jump scares ever, this is one that is always up there. But legit, that's all I could remember about the movie. So when I, right after Dario Nicolodi died and I started seeing, um, remembrances everywhere. I was suddenly like, I really want to rewatch that. Shock is on Prime right now, so it's the perfect time to revisit it. So this one was released in 1977. It was released stateside as Beyond the Door 2 um, because of the success of Beyond the Door. But I love this one because the poster like blatantly stole the cover of the Shirley Jackson novel, We've Always Lived in the Castle. Like they didn't. I always think of you every time I looked at that cover because you mentioned one of my favorite covers ever. And then it's just it's what they use for shock, just like blatantly ripped it off. Um, But it's beautiful artwork. You say that about Italians like it's a surprise. I know. (laughs) Um, So the setup for this one is that a wife and her brand new husband and her son move into kind of her family estate. And as soon as we get there, we find out that she's had some type of prior trauma where her husband was a heroin addict. This is her first husband, the kid's father. He was a heroin addict. He was abusive. And um, he died, they think, by suicide at sea. And his boat blew up and caught fire, and it was a suicide at sea. And so she went through a bunch of trauma. Years have passed, and she, her new husband, and her first husband's son have moved back into this family estate. And as soon as she gets there, she starts having flashbacks. Weird shit starts happening. And specifically, it gets into a creepy kid movie where the son starts talking to somebody. You start seeing him pushing somebody on the swing. The piano is playing by itself. And it all seems to be revolving around her son. She starts having all these flashbacks involving her husband, that he's not actually dead, that there's something to do with the house, but she doesn't know what. And all the while, her new husband is like, no, no, it was suicide. No, he's dead. He's long dead. And then it just kind of unfurls from there. This is a damn scary movie, and it's really well done. When this came out in America in 1977, it was really disregarded as um, a rip of exorcism and omen. Which I will say, there is definitely a degree of that. You can tell that they were definitely kind of aware of, hey, let's include the creepy kid and and have them talk to themselves and, you know, play outside and talk to an imaginary friend and things like that. But that said, 
this has a lot of scares. I'm actually now going to put this as one of Baba's best. Like yeah, I have, it's a really, I mean, it's latter yeah. day too. It's, is it his last or his close to last? It's, it's definitely, in, it's definitely towards the end. And uh, it's one of her best performances and, and, you know, she deserves a lot of credit. Like she's a really awesome presence in movies mm-hmm. and she, for people who are tuning, you might not know her name as much. Uh, you know, she co-wrote uh, Suspiria and it's really without her, there is no Suspiria because it's based on children's stories told to her by her grandmother okay. uh and so it directly is coming from her origination really um and i've actually got the script this guy i met once a spanish guy he you can't get this version it's basically the first pass they did on suspiria which is written just it's not got any dialogue it's just this it's like an 80 page screenplay or 70 like a, page it like a treatment it's like an extended treatment of what they wrote originally and i've got it and i was going to read it on the day i've had it for a couple of years and I, I just i have to sit down and just like enjoy it once i her past, I was like, I got to sit down and read that now because I'm so curious. But she, yeah, no, she, she's a major talent. But in this movie, I also find her really compelling, like performance. Um, I think she's also kind of in Mother of Tears a little bit as kind of a ghost mm-hmm. thing. She for comes Asia. like Obi Wan Kenobi, yeah, and, like, the force. No, it's actually that. pretty heartbreaking. I mean, people are, are dying all the time now, and there's a, we're always sad on Twitter for the day, right? And everyone celebrates them. But I was pretty. It's it's pretty damn sad when you think think yeah. of oh, Asia and people like people who she obviously meant the world to, and she's just kind of gone. But uh, she was in a couple things with Baba, I believe. Um, and I keep hearing a movie called. This how the property is not condemned or something by Elia Petri that people say she's amazing and I'm I'm gonna watch that on I need to see that. Yeah. Yeah. This was a um a welcome revisit because I did not have I I did not remember shock fondly. I just remembered the jump scare and was like, yeah, I remember it like being like a cool Italian movie. And I walked away from it this time going, God, Bava was just great. Well, and saying that might surprise you. Eight years ago to the day we were, I don't really know for the day, but way back on early Killer POV when we were talking about, we had an episode where we talked about our favorite horror movie soundtracks. And my number one is actually this film. And it's by a band called Umberto. And it's just this really, you, you can't always hear it in the movie. But when I when you then go and find it and listen to it's a great soundtrack to this movie. Great to tell you. So it's a little different than Goblin and stuff, but it's um, worth the look. So that's a good one. Yeah, um, so Shock is on Prime now. So take this opportunity and go watch it. Well, and also, yeah, we'll use that to say Shudder has um, a good 10 or 12 Bava films mm-hmm. uh, this month. So it's a great month to, to dive in and lots of good stuff. Um, I got a couple newer, new to me snow movies. So uh, there's going to be a topic coming up uh, down the track, but a couple that I'm going to mention at the top. Uh, one that I don't know if anything else we talk about is going to come near. I had never seen this one, even though so many people had been telling me the last two years how great it is. I finally got on the Christmas spirit and saw Deadly Games, a.k.a. 3615 Code Pierre Noel, the French Home Alone. I've never anime. seen this. Oh my, okay. I thought you had. I remember yeah. definitely it came up on Shockwaves back in the day as being like a massive, you know, just the best thing ever. I think it came up when we took to Joe Bob way back when in, when we were talking to him in um in Chattanooga the company who sent us the pig fucking movie remember how we got that they oh, are also yeah. the company who put out this movie and this I still thing have all of my discs from that let me just put it this way this will be the best thing you watch this christmas it is and it's not you wouldn't show your kids but it's not hard 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 it's more like fun thriller with some gore it you is so after yeah. every movie now because i let my son watch dark Age. yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. After every movie, you're into him with that arm ripoff. Um. So you're gonna be fine. 
yeah, if you don't know, we also do they do a deep cut Patreon where Becca shows her children messed up movies and then you know talks about what not, happens to the kid. No, no he like, walked in. This time, Elric. my kid's having nightmares now. Ever since I let him watch the. Uh, what you were so full of shit, Elric Kane. No, um, if you if you love us and want to continue listening to us, we do have a uh, a Patreon deep cuts where um we talk about other weirder movies that we watched in dark age was on there this week and yeah and my son my son watched it with me and then i felt really bad that's all because he started trying to eat children (laughs) in the playground so you know fair enough um but no this movie is so fun it's on shutter i've been meaning to watch it the last two christmases as my like new to me this like literally there can be no I, i have one other christmas movie i like more but this is instantly top three christmas movie kind of that's how fun it is so yes this is really great so it's basically christmas eve it opens up like rambo where this kid is like doing all the things rambo does to kind of get ready and the face paint and the war stuff but of course he's just playing with his dog and he has like you know he's basically leading his dog into little traps he lives in a mansion kind of like richie rich his mom is um he lives with his grandmother and mom his mom runs like the biggest toy store in in france or whatever and so it's very successful uh she's gonna be working late that night he's like you know, couldn't be more excited. And he finds that there's this new um, call line where through your computer, you can dial 3615 and talk directly to Santa. And when he does that, the wires get crossed and he talks, he's like 10, this kid. Instead, he talks to this guy who basically opens walking down the street, kind of looks like Santa, uh, but he isn't quite quite right in the head. And he's walking down the street and kids are playing with snowballs. So he kind of joins them and it's that awkward guy. So he's not necessarily like psycho at this stage, but he's not good. Like there's something odd about how he wants to play with kids. He's like childlike. Anyway, he ends up getting fired from the store at some point where he's playing Santa and finds out the address of uh, the woman who runs the store, which of course is this kid's address. And guess what happens? It's pure home alone. He's basically trying to break in as as dressed as Santa to you don't know if he wants to play with this kid or kill him. But as it goes, it's definitely the latter. Um, And the kid is just outsmarts him and has all these amazing booby traps. And it's him and his grandpa. And it's really intense. And the and the gags are incredible. And just it's really just unlike anything. It's also for France. I never think of this playful when I think of French cinema, especially genre cinema. And this is just pure playful, big 80s feeling filmmaking so i cannot recommend it enough uh you'll have a blast like i said it's on shutter i know a lot of people probably listening have already seen it and i just kind of was a little late on this one but i think you will have a lot of fun with i can't wait to see this it's the perfect uh perfect christmas one and then the other one i saw is a little weirder and i was looking up for this episode we're about to talk about you know recommend some snow stuff and and christmas stuff and there's one that came came up and i was like "Mm, black mountainside it's from 2014. Nick Shazisky is his last name. It's a Cana- uh, set in Canada. It's basically a very lo-fi indie uh, to be like the thing. So it's a bunch of people at an archaeological dig way high in northern Canada and nowhere near anyone else. So they're all stuck inside. And the opening shot, kind of one of those shots that keeps going round and round the people. And I was like, eh, felt like I was almost turned it off. It's that kind of cheapness indie kind of thing. And they, they're kind of a little mumbly at the start. And so I stuck with it. And then it started kind of, you get used to it. And then I started to really get into it. They basically have uncovered something that is archaeologically too old for where it is. And this guy, expert has come to join this, this like professor type. And he's like, no, that's impossible because, you know, this, this couldn't have had people here during this time. And they start, you know, going down that road. And then basically they start seeing this almost Wendigo deer looking thing 
one one on one. No one ever sees it with another person, and they all start getting driven mad. And it and all the native people who've been helping them all disappear one night because they're all spooked out. And it's just there's something kind of unsettling, and it kind of did work for me. I would say, you know, caveat: I didn't love it, but I thought it was really compelling. And one of those movies where you see an indie film where you go, okay, I want to see what they do this person makes next because this showed a lot of promise and had some pretty eerie stuff in it. Um, but yeah, I just had never even heard of it like until this week. Black yeah. Mountainside. It's on Amazon. I watched it on Prime. Um, and, you know, very thing-like in that sense. Well, fantastic. Well, I read a brand new book, which I am super excited about, but I am going to save it because it's a snow horror which brings oh. us into our topic of the night. Snowbound. Snowbound. Snow horrors. Yes. And so I have always been fascinated by snow horrors. And this definitely came to a head. And I realized that I was not the only one a couple of years ago where people started really chanting for a Friday the 13th in the snow. Yeah. And there was a hot minute where every single person in Hollywood was called in to pitch on the Friday the 13th snow horror, which never ended up happening. And it's now a, a uh, right. I don't think snow. you'd want the whole thing in the snow. That's the thing. Like I, my feeling was I, I had it like in my brain, I was like, Oh, you could have people coming to the camp in winter who are looking to rebuild it and take it over. And then you could have characters in the snow and then you could have your last kill kind of melt the snow could thaw and you could, you know, uh, and this one some. took such hold that there are actually fan spec scripts out there of Friday the 13th in the snow, as well as fan videos. Like, um, that were made just for the hell of it of Friday the 13th in the snow. Um, so yeah, it's still an, an amazing idea if they're ever going to make a Friday the 13th again. It's kind of like, well, I think it's like noir, like, and this is just off the top of my head because I don't, it's not that baked, but like the idea of the contrast between blood and snow is pretty, is like that ultimate contrast that we get in mm-hmm. black and white. So I think maybe there is something really compelling to what it creates. And so I think about, it, I think a big part though is, it eliminates the passerby. So any of these snowbound movies are basically creating their own ecosystem and bubble. And that's why they become so compelling because no one is coming to save you. No one's going to walk by and hear a scream. So you're kind of eliminating the the, the old cell phone problem with these stories. You tend to just stick people in the location. That's all you've got to play with. Um, Some of the ones we we picked up at the top that we're not going to talk about here because uh, my favorite movie pretty much of all time is The Shining. The best horror film outside of that to me is The Thing. Uh, Black Christmas is the best Christmas film. Misery is like, you know, you can't touch it. And Let the Right One, I think, and Right One in for best Contemporary. Winter. Yeah, I think it's just an amazing use of it. So those were five that we wanted to make sure we mentioned so you understand that we're not completely slow. Um, there, there is something to be said about snow as scary um, and just kind of the isolation of it. And we don't get that here in LA anymore. Like I, I watching these and listening to the story that I did um, that I'll talk about in a bit, like just the idea that we don't really have that. Um, and even thinking like, you know, the preparation that we used to do when I lived in Virginia in the mountains, like if we knew a snow was coming, you had to go to the grocery store. There was like, okay, well, this is going to be a thing. And there's a good chance we could lose power. Like there was actually kind of an air of danger, but at the same time, there was this air of excitement because you are literally trapped, unable to leave for a couple of days. Of course, COVID has become like the extended snow day in that capacity. Um, But there used to be this excitement around snow, not even just getting off from school. Like even, you know, it was the idea of I'm trapped. I'm not going to have anything to do. So I might as well get a puzzle or go hit the video store or whatever. Um, And the idea that you are kind of, you know, snowbound, literally. And so it makes for a great setting. 
Yeah, no, I definitely, the hardest thing getting used to, I think, in California is the lack of seasons, I think. And the, the couple of years I lived in Chicago before I got here, you know, I wasn't from there, but I really, I loved that change of season. It just lasted too long. You know, it just snow went forever. But falling on your ass is a very humbling thing. And uh, I, I legit hated New York in the snow. Yeah. There was, uh, with New York snows, the night that it snowed, there was a very small window of like two hours where it snowed and no one was out driving around and it was really beautiful and the city was silent and everybody was happy and it just became kind of serene. And then by the next morning, the subways were up and running. Everything is melting. There's three inches of city wash counting, just covering everything. It's very dirty. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. And then you have to throw on these thick, heavy coats to walk through the snow. But then once you get down into the subway, it's like 90 degrees and everybody smells and everybody's wet from the three inches of water on the pavement. It's just, I hated walking to work. You're still snow. angry. You're still I am. Angry. I'm still like You're fucking still New raging. York in the snow. Um. Um, but the night before, if you went out and you walked down to like Dwayne Reed to get like a candy bar at 2 a.m., it was like beautiful. And then the next morning, it was just a disgusting, disgusting heap of mess. Yeah, I'm sad not to get it. We did have one little bit of snow last year, I think, coming back from Christmas up on the pass, not far from here, and I was shocked to see it. But it was fun because it was the first time my kids had seen it. and you just My kids like, have oh, never seen snow. Yeah. I keep talking like, I'll drive up to Big Bear or Idlewild at some point and let them see it, but my car is not exactly equipped for that. So, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, we decided to go snowbound some snowbound wrecks that were just, you know, movies we thought were cool. Just we're going to list five and then a couple other outlier Christmas type things rather because we know most most shows and websites are just doing Christmas horror right now. We wanted to kind of extend it a little bit to get some interesting ones, wrecks. Yeah, these are definitely kind of deep cuts. Some of these are ones that um, I don't think are on common radars when it comes to like holiday horrors or snowbound horrors even or like feeling the winter season. So what you got first well, one? Why don't we start with the one that I watched because of you, uh, which I had never seen it because it looked like a cheesy mm-hmm. straight to video. I think I was mixing it up with a Kate Beckinsale thing, Whiteout. And so I never watched it. But this is called Windchill by Gregory Jacobs from 2007 with Emily yep. Blunt, Ashton Holmes, and my man Martin Donovan uh, as a kind of crazy cop character. This movie was awesome. And I'm so glad you liked this. I loved, I loved it. it. I was so into it. And I was like, holy shit, this is the fastest I've ever re- watched a Becca recommendation. It is. And it's one of my favorites. So, so I've never I've never heard of this one before. Dave Parker was actually who um, pointed this one out to me. And I absolutely fell in love with this movie. I love Emily Blunt and just about anything. But this is like one of her first films. The setup of this is that a college student is um, driving home and she ends up in kind of a ride share with this guy that she doesn't know. Um, like he, he ends up saying like, I have a class with you. Don't you remember? I know who you are. And she's like, no, I I really have no idea who the hell you are, but it's cool. They're riding together and then it's pouring snow. So they end up going off the highway. They end up taking these back roads that they think might be safer than the highway. And it's getting creepier. Um, like you get start getting these kind of stalkery vibes where this guy, he just knows. Oh, I know the line is something yeah. like, oh, but you look so good in glasses. And she's like, I never wear glasses at, except in my house or my apartment. Yeah. And he's like, and she, he's like, oh, um, uh, change subject. <laughs> yeah. Like you start getting these stalkery vibes. Like he just knows a little too much. And he starts making these little notes of like knowing just a little bit too much about her. But she is now stuck in this completely rural country road with nobody around in a massive blizzard with this guy. And so she starts getting really freaked out. And then the entire movie shifts. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if we should tell people. I'm not going to. I'm no, just going to say the second was, half is completely different. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it, and 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 it's nothing you can do to ruin. It's just really it becomes a very eerie film, and mm-hmm. it really works. It has it has a lot of cool moments and twists, and I just found it incredibly compelling, and just it's definitely a, a little gem. Uh, for the year. So it's it, to me, it's one of the best that we're going to be mentioning on here. So yeah. Uh, Wind chill from 2007. Where did you watch it? It was on Amazon, I believe. Okay. I paid a couple bucks for it. Um, yeah, no, really good. Uh, so, and it's when, you know, 2007, I feel like most of us feel like we saw all the good stuff for those periods. Right. And this is one that's very, like, no, missed it. It was a very saturated time period. Cause I'm going to mention one from 2008 and another one from 2007. When I do my personal picks, it was a really, this was kind of the high, the heyday mm. of DVD physical video you know um, produced right around the end of those 2000s uh watching the opening credits the, the reason i'm surprised i hadn't heard of it is uh george clooney and steven soderbergh and i was like what did a it was through their private company yeah. right yeah they did yeah, yeah they set up that company to do so anyway really good movie check it out um the next one on our list is urban legends 2 um this movie rules it's the best <laughs> movie and it has snow okay i fit it in it's not really on our list, but I'm going to slip it in there <laughs> because it isn't snow and it's cool. Um, and you'll be surprised that it's better than the first one. Anyway, <laughs> I will agree it's better than the first one. I, I found it quite entertaining on the rewatch. Anyway, but it's perfect. not on our list. It's not on our list, so that was a big lie. Uh, let's go Conexploitation. Let's mix it up because uh, this movie's freaking wild. Uh, this one is crazy. So I rewatched this a couple of years ago when uh, they did the fancy schmancy um, Blu-ray. Blu-ray release of it. And this is Curtains. And I don't have it's the original. SVH says cover um, all time. Uh, I wrote down 83. Uh, but this is the cover when we did our live show back for Shockwaves back in, we did live VHS covers. This was like one of my top covers. It's just such a crazy. It looked crazy like cover. a vagina. Yeah. Which I, which I wrote down, but I wrote vagina okay. because I was typing. Person's vagina. Yeah, vagina. Yeah. So we're going to write, it looked like a vagina. It's a Boca Raton vagina. You know what it is. <laughs> It's basically a thing, uh, a vagina. Uh, but this is one of those really, I mean, look, Canada and some of the movies being made in this time period are wild. Uh, you get Samantha Egger, who is from uh, The Brood, The Mom and The Brood. And you get John mm-hmm. Vernon, who is just amazing in every movie he's ever in as this very theatrical director. And it's like uh, these six young actresses are being auditioned at a, yeah. at a house for a role. In a yeah, mansion. but it's real shady because yeah. it's audition for this role. They are called to this mansion for like a weekend and it's all snowy and they can't leave and they're all there auditioning for a role and like, dude, red flags all over the place. But Not fine, in 1983. Come on. This is I like this is par for the course. I think it's only changed this year. Um, it's, but, and Samantha Egger, there's something uh, I can't remember exactly. I haven't seen it for a little while, but mentally unstable about her. Like she, she was a great actress who had mm-hmm. kind of been put out to pasture because she probably had 30 or something. And, you know, I remember that being part of the story. Anyway, uh, obviously, weird shit starts happening. They're very, mm-hmm. It's very snowbound. There's some great icy road scenes. There's one of the best scenes I've ever seen with a doll on the middle of the road. One of the, the best ice scenes. skating scene. Yes, the ice skating scene is one of my – the ice skating with a old hag-faced um, mask chasing with a sheath uh, is one of the best just flat-out oh. horror scenes. Oh, is that is that what it's like a little half? Yes, yes, the half. Yeah, it's not full. Um, such a good scene, and then Mm -hmm. there's a bonker snowmobile uh, crash scene that I won't say more about. It just got has a couple show stopping moments. There's other stuff that doesn't work, and is really like kind of slow and plotty because of the the performance stuff. But I guess if you look into it, I guess it was like two movies ended up being kind of fused together, or somebody took over directing duties. So, but you can't tell that much. It doesn't. It's not like it's 
indecipherable by it's any means. Fun. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good, it's a really fun movie. And I'm going to post after this airs, I'm, I was looking at trailers and the old ones are fine, but somebody cut a modern trailer to this, like as if it came out this year and it's kind of like hereditary and it makes it look like the best movie ever made. Like wow. I was like salivating to watch it again because it made it all feel so much more exciting and the, and the music's so good. So I'll post that on our uh, Twitter uh, because it's really fun. But Curtains is really great and does use the snow stuff in a, in a really interesting way, I think. Um, so next, next up, we're going to call it a twofer because okay. we're counting it as one. But they Glass are Eye Double? Glass Eye Double. And this is Wendigo and Last Winter, both directed by Larry Fazenden, both very much snowbound movies in completely different ways. Wendigo is a family goes on this uh, vacation in this rural snowbound community, upstate New York, I think. And um, they encounter, you know, kind of odd locals and their son becomes enamored with this legend of the Wendigo. Yeah, I think they hit a deer in the opening and that's what kind of starts it all. Um, and I can't remember. It's one of those ones where it's kind of mysterious. Like, it's almost like I've seen it only a couple of years ago again. Mm-hmm. And even then, some of the plot's a little kind of kid just, from Malcolm in the Middle. And he uh, goes, when they stop by a gas station, he finds this little like token, like this little um, figurine. And one of them explains the wind to go to him. And he becomes kind of enamored with it. And then as the story evolves and something happens in the woods, the wind to go becomes a more powerful part of it. But the whole thing, it's very snowbound. It's very intense. I just think the way he puts a movie together, is kind of full on and never gives you much of a break, which I think is great. And then last winter, I remember I was at the New York premiere of this and loved it. Last winter is is much more of an environmental message. Actually, Wendigo is an environmental message too. But this is what you've been, you've been saying this for a few years that you think the ne- one of the next big phases is going to be eco horror, um, which makes a lot of sense. And this one is doing it a, a lot earlier. I felt like I think it was like a good ten years before that was going to become in vogue. Yeah, this is all about um, the melting. It's a it's a team who is in the Arctic investigating my son in the next room over refusing to go to bed. Sorry about that. <laughs> but it's a team in the Arctic investigating um, the melting of the ice cap of, of the melting of some of the glaciers. And while they're there, they realize that as things are melting, it's kind of releasing spirits with it, that there's like a certain ethereal level of spirits past that are being released as the ice is, is receding. And it's a lot heavier than that, but it gets wild. And yeah, it's one of the I best build up movies. Like I remember the ending, not completely delivering at the time. It was so, really yeah. It just didn't, wasn't quite there. Whereas the build up is excellent. It's if you like movies like the thing and it's got all of those elements, great actors, Ron Perlman. As these Things are being released. It definitely becomes a little bit of a possession movie as these things are kind of infiltrating the team. Yeah, a lot of madness. Yeah. Uh, Icebound Madness. I did want to say in with Wendigo, if you want a double feature, goes with that. There is a crazy movie that was always really hard to see, but now it's on Amazon called Ghost Keeper. And it's really out there. And it is basically you think you're watching a witch basically an old witch at a ski lodge movie. It's all snowbound. It's a ski lodge um, film from the early eighties. And then at some point they go downstairs and this, these skiers go downstairs in this hotel and you realize that the old witch has been keeping a Wendigo in her freezer. This giant Wendigo is being held, this monster. And you're watching it for like one shot. Like what the hell movie is this? It's a bonkers movie. It's not necessarily great, but I, I wanted to mention it next to Wendigo because it could be a good double. Uh, now wow. that so it's Ghost, Ghost Keeper. Keeper. Yeah. It's on the Amazon. Wow. Um, I will also say there is an amazing Wendigo short that you can watch on Crypt TV um, called Mordio that I absolutely love. Really tight filmmaker Ben Sotak uh, behind it. But yeah, okay. Wendigo, it, it's a very untapped um, subject matter that I think. But then again, 
it's going to come up in our next one as well is Wendigo Mythos in the snow. And this by far is my fave snow horror ever. Like this may trump, um, I hate using that word now. This may um, supersede some of like the miseries that we mentioned up at the top. And this, as far as snow horrors go, and this is ravenous Antonio Birds. Yeah, this played at the New Bev again, like, you know, year right before all, all the pandemic. And so I had to rewatch it for a calendar. I hadn't seen it since it came out. And I always liked it, but now I loved it. I was like, this is amazing, this film. I watched this when it first came out in 1999. It was definitely like late 90s. And I remember being so confused by it because I wasn't expecting it. It has... um, uh, note like David Arquette is that it? Uh, David Arquette Guy yeah. Pierce is the main guy and then Robert Carlyle is the you know the kind of baddie the big bad who comes into it Jeremy Davies Jeffrey Jones I mean, a great cast of just it's an all men it's it's great it's it's basically if the thing or something was directed by a woman Antonio Bird directs which is so cool to see this movie that's just all about men going crazy so yeah and I I remember being a little confused by it the first time I saw it and then I remember vividly watching it again when it was on like Showtime or something and then becoming completely captivated by it and it wasn't until a decade later when I was rewatching it for a third time that I was like this is a fucking amazing movie and the soundtrack Yeah the soundtrack Damon Albarn does the soundtrack yeah Gorgeous. But it's basically like a what, end of Civil War kind of time period. I think it's Mexican American War. Okay, it is. Yeah, end of the um, 19th century. It says yeah. Yeah, and it's a very much kind of a Donner Party set yeah. up, but with the Windigo mythos, where um, the whole concept of the Windigo is if you ever consume human flesh, you in a way gain their power, like you become more powerful, but at the same time you become kind of an unstoppable machine that has to be continuously consuming human flesh. Like at that point you psychologically change. And even though that you gain power, you also lose a sense of self and become a monster. And that is kind of it in this very snowbound area where they're all kind of trapped there in this one particular past during the Mexican-American War in the snow. Well, they take in, so it's, it starts with Guy Pierce and he has survived mm-hmm. something. He survived, I think he's been called a coward because his platoon, he, he was a captain and his platoon were all massacred and he survived by pretending he was dead and hiding amongst mm-hmm. the bodies. And so he's kind of disgraced. The fact that he, you know, has other choices to die, of course. So everyone kind of is snubbing him. So he gets sent to this outpost in the middle of nowhere as punishment, basically. And when he gets to the outpost, uh, a, a guy who has survived a similar kind of event, maybe Robert Carlyle, who from train spotting plays the most crazy character ever, Begbie, he comes in and he's acting very weak and very quiet. So he kind of comes into the story as somebody you don't expect to become this very dangerous, very scary. I think one of the great horror movie characters like Robert Carl. Mm-hmm. And he's really fucked up and he is going to try to turn these people in on each other. And he just wreaks havoc on this, on this post and things. Get, he, he says, Oh, there's two more who, who we have to go save. And so they get a party together and they go to save them. And then twist after twist, uh, the party gets smaller and smaller and has that great quote, uh, eat to live. Uh, live to eat don't eat to live that he says at one point after consuming people it's just like it's really a special movie because it's also a black comedy but so black dark you know so yeah yeah, it's such a weird and i think that's why i was off put by it at first is it's it's just such an odd tone and it's a western as well but in the snow it's ultimately a straightforward with the 
kind of how isolated it is and the band of guys trying to figure out who's on whose side. And it's all about rescue missions. It is a straightforward Western just in It's going to be a total modern cult film for sure. Like, And there's mm-hmm. a couple on this list that are coming up even after this that I feel like are just these movies that when they come out, they are less noticed. And then one day you're going to realize, oh, that was one of the best films of that uh, period. So Ravenous, definitely check that out. I'm sure that's on Amazon and everywhere else. Uh, and then the last one of our five, and then we'll have a couple extras, uh, is one that it's pretty much my favorite horror film from the last decade. You know, it's up there with it follows for me. And that is um, Oz Perkins's first film, Black Coat's Daughter, uh, a.k.a. February. It came out as February. And I guess I think it deserves a because it's a great film. But I think the way it uses the snowbound and the winter holiday uh, in a really eerie way, it's basically two Catholic schoolgirls or boarding schoolgirls. Uh, everyone else is getting picked up to go away for the uh, winter break and uh, one of them is going to stay on because just because that's what she chose she's a little older but this younger girl played played by the girl from Mad Men and now um Sabrina the teenage witch Kiernan Shipka she's um her parents were meant to pick her up but they haven't come and then we kind of start to figure out maybe they died on the way there maybe they're never coming to get her and she's stuck there she doesn't know this yet and uh basically she's kind of trying to emulate the older girl you know trying to be like her and the older girls you know having sexual situations with her boyfriend and all, all the typical kind of school stuff and at some point it just starts to get really eerie uh because you start to realize there's something in the black what would you call that the black furnace downstairs that's it's a giant her. it's a furnace room it's, yeah. and and you discover that um Kieran and Shipton his character is talking to something in the furnace. Yeah, and slowly it's becoming a story of possession. And uh, I definitely am not going to ruin what happens. There is an, a time jump in the middle of this movie um, that is just fascinating. And I don't want to say any more than that if you haven't seen it. Um, also has Emma Roberts in it, James Remar. So some really great actors in this. Um, but where it goes at the end, I think it's actually the best film I have ever seen emotionally about what it, what a possession film would feel like to what you have to sacrifice for the, if you want to be in league with the devil, what you actually have to sacrifice, what you have to give up. And what it would feel like. Yeah, and, yeah. and out of love. And it's yeah. really messed up. Like, it's one of those movies where the last couple of seconds of it, where I'm like, oh, geez, this is really dark when I think about yeah. it. But almost all of it's set in snow, snowbound, um, with the juxtaposition of, the, like, the hot furnace and the kind of devil. And there's a, there is an actual image of a devil in this that I think is really unique and interesting. Sometimes um, you need to ask Chris to uh, see the pictures of how they made that. That's right. I always um, forget that. He, I always forget. Yeah. That he produced it. And yeah, you know, I, I got the lucky cause I'd never heard of it. I went to the acting, like the actor, uh, Ag, Agfa or not Agfa. That's um, SAG. It was the AFI screening, wasn't it? No, it was even before that. That's uh, oh. it was like a SAG screening because I was with Mark Kelly, who w- is old friends with Oz. So mm-hmm. we got to see it before it was even like a thing. And I, I, I can remember my feeling of, of like rolling my eyes going, oh, I'm going to watch some actors film who he, because he also was an actor. He was in Legally Blonde. You know, yeah. I just thought of him as an actor and I, I had zero expectation. In fact, I thought I was doing my friend a favor and that I was going to hate it. And when I walked out, like my friend probably a half liked it. I walked out going, this is the best film of the last decade. He was like, really? <laughs> because I just really, I think it just kind of hits my sweet spot of that kind of slow burning uh, mm-hmm. dread that uh, I think it out A24 is all of A24's films personally I think it's much creepier and better than most of them so um, but that's Black Coat's Daughter uh, bummer about the title I still wish it was called February but so be it yeah <laughs> So be it. Um, so some of the ones um, kind of our individual picks, I am going to start with 2008's The Children, mm-hmm. which I've been trying to get Elric to watch for um, probably since 2008. Well, because there's uh, another film called The Children that are, is really creepy where they hug you, you die. And uh, that's- No, no, this is, this is good. This is a really, really good one. This is a British film um, from 2008. 
And essentially it's about a kind of a group of friends who all have kids. Like it'd be like if you and me and Brian Collins families, like all decided to go on vacation together. So it's like three close friends who all have kids varying ages. Like most of them are, are no longer teens. There's one teen girl if memory serves. Um, but they range in age from like four up through years. And there's, well, we have there. to watch shocker on this vacation with Brian. <laughs> I don't think we have much. Of a choice, do we? Okay. Um, We're watching but, it, but so it's, it's a massive, they rent like this big cabin in the middle of nowhere. And um, it's all of these kind of like, 30, 40 somethings and all these kids running around and they get there and it's set. They're there for like a couple of days and it's supposed to be right after Christmas. Like there's still Christmas decorations up. And I think it's like close to new year's that they're there. Cause they talk about, you know, new year's celebration. They're there for a couple of days. They get there on the first day and they notice that two of the kids have like sniffles and it's just like a cold. And one of them's running like a low grade fever and cool, go sleep it off, have some baby Tylenol. Well, by the next day, Two more of the kids have the sniffles and that first kid is acting like just like not there. Like she's not even there anymore. Like there's seriously something wrong with her. Um, and they just think she needs sleep and it keeps progressing and getting worse and worse, but it's only affecting the kids. And it's just some type of flu like illness. But really quickly, they realize that though it starts out like a cold within about a 12 hour period, they become like psychotic like completely losing it, wanting to kill the adults and anything else around them except for each other. And it's great and tense and just feels so real now that I have kids and the amount of just like, oh yeah, he has the sniffles. Yeah, he's fine. Just ignore it. You know? Yeah. Okay. Now two of them do. Of course, I'm probably going to get it next day. Um, Just very much. I, I watched the first five minutes once, I think it was last Christmas, just to see what it was. Mm-hmm. And as soon as like a kid threw up, I was like, I don't need that right now. Because <laughs> yeah. no, I've had a Christmas like that. I was like, I don't need that. So real. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so it's it's just kind of like, it starts out with the parents just completely disregarding, you know, the next bug that their kids have brought home. And then within a 12 hour period, it goes completely off the rails. And there are some seriously scary scenes in this movie. Um, And then trying, once they realize what's going on, trying to keep the other kids from getting infected. And yeah, it's wild. So I really recommend this one. Um, The whole thing set in this snowbound uh, large cabin that the families are staying at. Uh, Mine are obvious. I just picked a couple Christmas horrors that I wanted to just, throw in there in the mix because they weren't going to come up we weren't going all christmas but uh look my favorite christmas movie period not just horror christmas evil have to give it some love lewis jackson uh i've said it before here but the only reason i'm I'm sitting here is because of this movie because because when i first got to la uh this is always you know my my origin story in horror here in la at least was i got to la and i was working at a place and uh they gave us opportunity to start our own show after the talking dead type show and I said, oh, I could do a horror show. And it was Christmas. And I said to Matt, the guy I was producing it with, and Stacey Lane Wilson, I said, I'll only do it if I can find the director of Christmas Evil because why bother? Yeah. I didn't know he was alive or not. I truly didn't. I just said, Christmas Evil is my favorite Christmas. If we can find that guy, I'll do it. And t- it took two emails and I had him. It was, I emailed Ant Timpson in New Zealand. And he said, you need to talk to Brian from the New Beverly Cinema, who, do- who does a lot of the programming, who's mm-hmm. really close friends with Lewis Jackson. And before I knew it, I was at Lewis's house 
having tuna fish sandwiches with him and him telling me the story of his movie. And then he came on the show. And, and, and if I hadn't had that, I don't know if I would have fallen in love as quickly as I did with, you know, this kind of the side of making this kind of content mm-hmm. um, because it led to Jack Hill and all sorts of people when I was doing that show. So, uh, and I just love this movie and it's John Waters is, I think John Waters is on record saying it's his favorite mirror movie period which is this kind of crazy <laughs> that makes sense yeah it does yeah. make sense and he's he's largely responsible for the fact that any, anyone can see it anymore because a lot of people had to be paid off there are stories about lewis jackson having to go to parking lots and hand a uh, a you know brown paper bag to a new jersey mobster of cash that's why this film got lost for a period because of uh certain deals and so uh, it's really amazing that this exists again vinegar syndrome put it out and it's basically the story of uh i saw mommy kissing santa claus this is what happens mm-hmm. if you see mommy kissing santa claus uh, suddenly you have a lifetime of trauma she he does a little bit more than kiss mommy it's a little bleak what this kid sees at the start and then he smashes a snow globe and he grows grows up to be this guy played by brandon maggart who if you're on twitter right now everyone is tweeting you mean fiona apple's dad because that's all anyone remembers about this movie um in the modern (laughs) era which is true and he's it's one of the best performances and he's just a guy who's basically loves you know loves christmas and loves the spirit of him works in a toy factory and he just starts going off the rails and people who don't have the christmas spirit don't last that long and has the best ending ever it's like just my favorite end of a movie it's kind of magical um and it's just a co- really cool movie if you haven't seen it i'll always give it a good plug because he put everything he had into it mm-hmm. lewis did and never made another film um but this is like one of my favorite one and done uh films uh so it's definitely twisted yes and funny and weird you know it's just a good movie so my next like deep cut snowbound horror is another one that I've mentioned repeatedly that you've never watched. And this is Hansel and Gretel from 2007. This is a South Korean film. Oh, no, yeah. So if you just Google Hansel and Gretel movie, you're going to end up with like way more. But if you Google South Korean Hansel and Gretel, you will find this one. Mm. Um, and this is this crazy movie about this guy who is driving. I think he's an author in it. Um, but he's driving through this rural woodland environment um, in this heavy snowstorm. His car goes off the road. He doesn't know what to do. He can't figure out where to go. And he starts wandering through the woods. And he happens upon this beautiful mansion in the middle of the woods. And he goes inside. And there is this absolutely pristine, seemingly wonderful family who are right there to help him. Um, and they eat ice cream for breakfast and everything is beautiful and they have stuffed animals everywhere and the whole house looks like a fairy tale. And yet he discovers after a couple days, he is unable to leave no matter how hard he tries. And it gets really twisted and it gets really twilight zony. And I will say that it loosely uses the Hansel and Gretel myth in the kind of fairy tale sense. Um, but it's not the Hansel and Gretel that we all know. It's, it's much more um, kind of cerebral than that. But this one, it's beautiful cinematography when they're in the house as opposed to the snow outside. This just has a lot of cool stuff to it. I love this movie. Uh, I'm picking a not a deep. I want to see that now because it actually just totally sounds interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also another Hansel and Gretel, a French one called Criminal Lovers that I always tell people to see, and it's really fucked up. It's like French extremism, and people never talk about it. It's Francois Ozon made it. He doesn't usually make that kind of thing, and it's like these two people get taken in by the guy, and the guy is interested in the guy, not the girl, and so it's like the reverse of what we're not used to seeing in terms of that kind of a movie, and it's pretty crazy. Um, the, this this one, I wanted to pick one just to remind people of pure joy. And when we talk about cult movies, I truly don't know if there's going to be a movie that was slept on harder than this. Uh, this won't be a new 
to most people. But I think of all the movies in the last decade, the biggest sleeper that should deserve to have been a number one at the box office, Anna and the Apocalypse. Oh, I, gosh, I took yeah. you to this movie. I'd, or I'd somehow seen it you early. It. I can't remember, but I was so excited to take you because I knew you would love it. It's a musical. It's Christmas. And it's just fun. And it's just, it was so interesting when it was a nothing a total nothing burger at the box office. Mm-hmm. No one was really talking about it. Some horror people were talking about, it. but I yeah, think it's it have legs. We dumped to social uh, VOD. I remember seeing on socials one day, "Hey, this is on on Amazon," and none of us knew it had gone there. Yeah, for me, it's like it's like Sing Street. Like it's one of those movies that bring like I, I've never not brought, had joy from watching Sing Street or recommending someone sing. And when I watch this movie, I feel similarly. I feel like it's just it's such a fun film. You know, it's Christmas. It's in England at a school high school. Uh, a girl's going through a lot, wanting to kind of leave, get, getting ready to leave. And then suddenly we have zombies, a zombie outbreak. And the way they deal with it is in a way that felt totally fresh and funny. And I was totally burned out by zombies when this came out. So, it, it you know, obviously it's taking a lot of Sean from the dead uh, kind of uh, style wise. But I just want to remind people that this is a really great Christmas movie and oh, will yeah. actually make you feel something uh, by the end. And that's, to me, the point of Christmas uh, in, in many ways. So I think it does it all. It's just to me, I'm still a little floored that this isn't on everyone you know uh, a yearly list 2017 we saw that no we probably start 2018 it, was, it took a while to come out yes yeah, so i think yeah. it was 2018 um so the last one that i'll talk about in kind of our deep cut snowbound horrors before we kind of shift gears to um some more holiday spirit is a book that i got this book um through audible like it'd been on my list since october it just came out in i want to say early october of this year so it's only been around for like a month or two and I ended up, um, while well, I was, I've been canning, um, which is the lamest thing that I will ever say is I've been canning. Um, but a couple of nights ago, I was canning something. I think it was like spaghetti sauce. And I was like, well, this will take a couple of hours. So I got it through Audible and I listened to the entire thing in like one, one sitting. Um, and this is Five Total Strangers by Natalie D. Richards. And again, this has only been out for like a month and a half. Hmm. I absolutely loved this. The whole concept of it is um, there's a flight that is going cross country from California to Newark airport in the middle of this snowstorm. They roll into Newark and everything gets shut down and it's completely snowbound. It's this awful storm. People are referring to it as blizzard NATO and everything's crazy, but it's Christmas Eve. And there is this group of people who are like, I have to get home for Christmas. And they all have different reasons. My mom's sick. My dad's going through this thing. I have to be there for this. Um, You know, they all, one of them is kind of a drug addict and is trying to get out of there as quick as possible. And so they all have different reasons and they all decide to come together to rent a car because they're all headed to the Pittsburgh area. And so they're like, let's the five of us get in. We'll, you know, chip in, we'll rent a car and we'll all take turns driving and we'll drive to Pittsburgh and we can just drive through the snow. And so they set out five total strangers. And then this whole thing kind of details their journey. And it's all told from the perspective of one girl who is flying home for her first Christmas with her mom, where her mom's sister has just died. And she know her mom's like really upset about that. And so she really wants to be there for her. So her mom doesn't have to go through this by herself. And she is trying to get home and it's all kind of told from her perspective, but weird stuff starts happening. Like they realize that the snow chains are sabotaged 
And then all of a sudden the power charger for their cell phones are missing. And all of a sudden things start going missing and things start breaking, but nobody's leaving the car. It's just the five of them. And all of this weird stuff starts happening and it gets so creepy. The tension is insane. Like there's no reason I listen to it all in one sitting. It and like- I assume it's one person reading the whole thing, right? Yeah, one, one, well, I mean, on Audible, it's one person reading the whole thing. And the majority of it is from just this one girl's perspective mm. as she sits primarily in the back seat watching the other four people in the car. What are they doing? How are they interacting with each other? Who are they looking at as they say things? Um, you know, what are they doing with their time? And it's just this gradual kind of erosion as they get stuck in the snow, people's, you know, kind of exterior starts wearing down, their cell phones all die. You realize that there is definitely something creepy going on from the moment that they get into the car, that there's something not right. And then it just keeps exacerbating itself and getting worse and worse until it comes to a head. And this was a great read, super, super tense. The entire thing set in a snowstorm as they travel across the Poconos. So you call it a read. I do, I but I listen. listen to it. <laughs> okay. I usually, most of the time, I will. This happens all the time. I will start reading something. I will read the first four chapters. I will get really enraptured in it, and then I will go, "Holy shit! I have to go unload the dishwasher." Do you want to and then going? I will. I will keep it going. I will buy it through Audible or use my like monthly credit just so I can keep it going while I go fold laundry or you know whatever I need. That to sounds do. good. That sounds like. I wonder if it's as good to read. I, I might. Maybe I'll pick it up. I haven't yeah, it was it was an awesome listen. I'll call it. Um, yeah. even Audible calls it reading. Like even as their their recordings finish, they say thank you for reading this yeah. book. Um, so thank you Audible for justifying it for me. Well, now we oh, know what happens yeah. in Wally when we become those things floating down the uh <laughs> the little rafts with their little juice buckets or whatever. No, <laughs> because no I, anymore. It's a different thing. I like I definitely. You know, I lose myself even while I'm listening to them. Because even like while I was commuting or on the subway, I would get these books on. I even still call them books on tape, but just like the audio books. Um, and it you still- Wait, they are books on them. tape, aren't they? Yeah, but it's not on tape. I oh, mean, sure, yeah. yeah, that's like the antiquated way of saying it. But I still lose myself just as much as I would if I was reading it. Uh, yeah, I need to do it. I'm, I'm talking completely out of place of ignorance. I've never listened to a book. So that's why I'm saying that. I've, I've also slowed down my reading, so I really should do it. These, uh, Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I will find a way to read the first like three chapters. Um, but I try to read right at night before I go to bed and I will get like three paragraphs in, then I will read the same line six times oh, yeah, and then yeah, eventually fall the worst asleep. Feeling, worst feeling on earth. And that's all I got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but with these, I can put on my headphones and like, you know, whatever I need to do around the house or in the yard and still be absorbed. What's the title again? Five Total Strangers. Five Total Strangers. Um, all right. Now we're going to do something a little different. We'll, we'll be briefer because I know we're probably, we'll probably be running a little longer this week. But our deep cut, we're going to look at a type of thing that's happening, which is not something that happens uh, with snow for the most part and not happen at Christmas. But the films themselves are released at Christmas. <laughs> and that is uh, from the BBC a ghost story for Christmas, which are basically annual British shorts that were uh, really started from, I think, 71 to 78. It happened every year. And then they went away for a while. And then they were pretty, I bet, very influential on that generation of horror filmmakers in England, at least not in America. So so much so that remember I made you watch um, the Devil of Christmas episode of Inside Number Nine. That's what it's referencing. That's why they talk about the TV Uh, cameras and everything is it's referencing 
and Ghostwatch. They're probably talking about Ghostwatch too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, and then in 2005, it says they have started to come back, but they were basically, what's interesting, this is something I, I only discovered really this year. And I, you know, in New Zealand, I'm surprised I wasn't watching these uh, because we got mostly British television. Um, this, I, yeah, I just started discovering these. They're all pretty much directed by the same guy, Lawrence Gordon Clark, mm-hmm. and a lot of them were on 16 millimeter. And, um, the influence of them for the most part, just to set it up, like this writer who I wasn't that familiar with, I've, you know, heard of him, M.R. James, um, who is what period? He, he's like 1913 or something. Is it probably that period or something like that? I always put him in the same vein as Lovecraft. Like yes. around the 19 teens into Yeah, I think Lovecraft even said something like no one writes a ghost story like James did or something like that. But he's basically, uh, all, all of them, except for a couple, are adaptations of his. There's uh, a good Dickens one as well. And obviously, it's, they all have the sp- a little bit of the spirit of a Dickens thing, but not really. But there are weird words that I never, I never use the word hubris. It's one of those words, I know what it is, but I've never used it. But it's the best word to describe what these are about, because a lot of them are about these people who think they are smarter and cleverer than everyone else around them. And at some point they are taught a lesson uh, Mm -hmm. often because often they're dealing with antiquarian things like ancient books or old artifacts. And they think they're the expert and they kind of pagan rituals. Yeah. And it's really interesting. So you see these people kind of get their comeuppance in a way, even though it's not, it doesn't seem to be what the stories are about, but it's almost every one of them has this kind of a character. Um, And he was an academic. So he was like a major academic. So he was, this was his part-time thing was writing ghost stories. His, his full job was running whole universities and stuff. And so I think he was obviously kind of probably had a lot, a lot of satire about the people working around them but they i completely fell into the world of these because they're slow yeah. and like dread inducing and they're short enough to keep your attention because they're only like 35 40 minutes and there's some really scary stuff in them so i found these and this is weird because elric and i happened upon these around the same time but by completely different means like yeah i was talking about them on pure cinema but not here and then you were came up with the disc. i found um because i was talking with rob and jed the um director and producer of the host and at the end, I did an interview with them um, when they came and talked to my class at USC about virtual film production. And at the end of the class, I said, okay, guys, give me something super scary to watch that I haven't seen before. And they said, have you seen the BBC Christmas movies? And I was immediately like, what are you talking about, Christmas? And he was like, they're not, they're Christmas movies. We release them at Christmas, but they're not Christmas movies. They're just ghost stories because in Britain, Christmas is like a spooky holiday. It's like, you know, we associate it with because Christmas of Dickens, carol. I'm sure, or something. Yeah, because yeah. Dickens always told yeah. these ghost stories. And so we have the Christmas Carol, but he was like, because of that, like Victorian Christmas stories are a whole thing. By the way, there's an amazing collection of Victorian Christmas stories, Christmas ghost stories out mm-hmm. um, from Valancourt Press. But so they were the ones who put me onto these, and I immediately ordered a collection, which I ordered from the UK, not realizing that any of these were available in the US. And the one that I ordered had the Signal Man, Stigma, and the Ice House on it. Um, yeah, but these aren't available it. in America. They're not available yeah. in America. Oh, they're not. No, no, this so, yeah. is still region only, but you can, there's files of uh, like all of them from people in England. And there's also, um, they are slowly coming all out in England on DVD, but the region uh, still encoded. I, this is why probably they haven't been really adopted yeah. here because they're not wildly available but youtube does have quite a few of them too 
I got, I have a region free DVD player. So I ordered a collection straight from the UK. Um, but let's dive into some of these because the first one that I watched was the one that Jed and Rob definitely seemed to like the most, which was the signal man. I think that's the first one. And the weird thing about that is that is the Dickens one. Well, um, so it's kind of different than the MR James, but it's really well made. It's just a, it's, it, you know, it's, it's the language is, is definitely, uh, older English, but yes, it's a guy who works in, in the signal house next to a tunnel that's had some accidents and then a passerby comes across him and he basically recounts this interaction with what could have been a premonition or a ghost of a really bad accident and there's some very a lot of stuff about fate and the kind of loop of of warnings um that you don't uh, adhere to and it's uh very just eerie there's an image of a woman uh, oh yeah so creepy the wedding dress i love they don't use stretchers i love that every single time somebody dies somebody just like picks them up and And, slings them over their shoulder and like walks off screen with them but it's really eerie that's a really good place to start the the one that um isn't in any of these and it's considered the forerunner to all of them it was made a couple years before these started and i'm surprised because it's just like them called whistle and i'll come to you um it's an mr james one it's black and white and it's an academic who's come to this like seaside town to and he's just a complete dick everything about him is like you're like oh i hate this guy and just he just starts seeing uh there i think there's legend about a thing that if you whistle it uh, something will come and he starts seeing this figure getting increasingly closer throughout and it ends in just a way that's so chilling and it's so simple but i would recommend look at that one probably is on youtube and that's the one that probably probably gave them the idea to then make these every year because that one was before mm. it was called a christmas uh ghost story um but yeah the, my favorite one is one called of, of the ones i've seen i've still got about three to see uh, a warning to the curious, which is very much in that vein of the one I was just talking about. It's an, a guy who considers himself a weekend archaeologist. He goes away on a weekend, and there's something called what is it? It's a uh, it, there's this lost treasure of England that is always talked about, and he thinks he might know where the grave had been buried. But there's a legend that it has somebody who looks over it and you can't bury there uh you can't um dig there no digging there there's this guy who keeps saying it and basically this guy finds this treasure because he thinks he's kind of smarter than everyone else and then it gets really parent all about paranoia and this kind of this ghost uh following him and it gets really creepy it's a really good one i uh, highly recommend that one as a one to get into it ah um, my favorite one of the ones that I watched was the Ice House, which is definitely kind of the weirdest. Um, I will say the stigma that it wasn't the stigma, it's yeah, just stigma. I was shocked because I couldn't believe they ever put that on television because it, it was actually kind of gory and had new. Not the most modern. It felt like, yeah. unlike the others that feel kind of stuffy and older, that one feels yeah, very like, oh, yeah, that one's 70s. It's for sure. It's a lot yeah. gorier, yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed the Ice House, which was about this very, um, you know, upstanding gentleman who comes to this estate for a weekend away. He was having a weekend holiday like you do. And um, he gets there and it's run by this really weird brother and sister. Like as soon as you get there, you start getting these like incesty vibes off of them. And they have this ice house on the property and it's covered in this unusual plant with this smell that's like completely enrapturing um, that this guy just seems drawn to. And he keeps having these nightmares about the ice house, about something in the ice house. And it kind of gets Hotel California, but in a completely fucked up way. I really liked this one. I liked the ambience. I liked the idea of like entrapment. 
the idea of hubris definitely yeah. comes in. Decadence into it. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, now, the decadence of it. And the brother and sister are completely messed up. I loved that. Yeah, there's a massage guy at the a, mas- a masseuse at the start <laughs> the who's guy. hands on him and the guy's like, Yeah, your hands are freezing. He's like, Yeah, I've got to touch the cools. And that, I love, like, love that term. Get me out of here. Yeah. It was really Yeah, it's it, it was really interesting. Yeah, that one didn't the first like ten minutes I wasn't that grabbed. I was like, Oh, this isn't as good as the others. And by the end I thought it was great. It was I just watched it last night. I thought it was a great one. Um based on yeah, no, look, they're they're really interesting. Uh I I did just make a note I forgot to mention. It's worth mentioning that James, the guy they're based on, MR James, the reason he is kind of well known is he he went away from like obviously Henry James who was about more like gothic cliches mm-hmm. and stuff. He, James didn't. He, uh, this MR James took it to a more realistic contemporary settings. And that's what, that was kind of what separated his ghost stories at the time from some of those other writers, which I think is, you know, worthwhile. I just picked up, uh, the, and, you know, it's 12 bucks, all his short, all his best short stories in a one collection because I really want to read them and see how they read after watching these. Um, but these are fantastic. Uh, you know, look for them. Uh, get If you have the region free, it's a, it might be a really fun thing to start doing every Christmas. Just watch one, you know, don't binge them all. Uh, just take your time and uh, introduce it into your family. Um, and I think, you know, from the subtlety of M.R. James to uh, the subtlety of Movie Fight. Movie Fight! Movie Fight. So now we are pulling a Royal Rumble to end the year of all movie fights, which means not one, not two, not three, not four, but five movies in a fight. A steel cage ladder match, which I know you don't get because you never watch WWE, but fair enough. I did. Um, uh, I did. did. Yes, of course I did. I saw uh, No Holds Barred opening night with Hulk Hogan and uh, Zeus. Uh, <laughs> I even know who the junkyard dog is. Um, but yes, we are looking at all five of the Silent Night, Deadly Night films, and only one of them will emerge as our, the film worthy of being called a Silent Night, Deadly Night, and all the rest will burn. Um, so let's, <laughs> uh, not literally. Okay. But, uh, Did you rewatch any of these? No, films? hell no. Who's, yeah, I think I'm going to do that research. Hell no. Hell no. This is based on opinion and we're not even going to go deep. We can do, we got to do this in like three minutes. Um, okay. But why don't we we'll go movie by movie? What is the good things or about them that are memorable? So Silent Night, Deadly Night, what, 1984. Yes. Um, this definitely sets up the classic Santa slasher. Um, I remember being shocked by this when it first came out. If memory serves, this was pretty controversial. Yes, it was pulled. Was a lot of people wanted it. Uh, Ebert and Roper thought it was the filthiest thing ever filmed. They wanted it uh, pulled because their parents and moms, especially, were protesting because, of course, it's the first time you've got images of a killer Santa on something, and kids can see these images, and it obviously is not what you want at that season. Um, it also has some really gnarly stuff in it. Like it's got yeah. this rapey Santa who is like a killer, not the guy who becomes the main character, but before that starts in the backstory, that's really violent and, and ugly. Um, some of the deaths are really quite like that. Linnea quickly has like an old timer death scene in this. That's yeah. pretty, uh, with, with those kind of horns and stuff. So it's got some really gnarly stuff, but it also brings in the kind of sadistic nuns you know, school. Yeah. Grandpa's amazing. Um, so it has, I think, you know, as a, it's also a pretty solid slasher. Some of the melodrama stuff's always the stuff I've always been a little less interested in Mm -hmm. with these movies. Um, and there's a bit of that, but this one is a, you know, this is what sets up the world of the first three films, which are all connected story wise, uh, in their bonkers way. Right. So that the first one, uh, was controversial, a solid slasher, uh, sets up our killer Santa, uh, part two, 
Uh, My note just says C part one. Okay, part three. um, Part two is basically a clip show, but we do get a little bit more um, introduced to uh, Ricky. So it's Billy's Billy's the first one, and his younger brother is Ricky. We get Ricky's storyline. We get the greatest YouTube meme in the history of YouTube memes. Garbage Day, day. Uh, Um, and the performance of a lifetime by Eric Freeman. It's basically acted entirely with his eyebrows. Like he doesn't have to talk; the eyebrows do it. Um, And yeah, so really, really fun. It's easily the best of all of these with a crowd, but watching at home less so. And if you've just watched one, it's a little painful because if you watch two afterwards, it's like rewatching one. And then five (laughs) percent of the movie clips from one. Yeah, so don't do that part. But it is a lot of fun, um, even though it has you know we had the director on Killer POV way back when, and he was saying yeah, we had Eric Freeman on too. Yes, eventually, yeah. After a lot of ordeals trying to find that, but yeah, Lee Harry was director of the second one, and you know he said he was an editor so it was kind of more of a hey can you save this film kind of situation i think yeah um part three uh part obviously three. obviously directed by monty hellman it's obviously uh, <laughs> my, my, one of my favorite nights of living in los angeles was uh him telling me the story that he had uh, a near-death fever so he was in bed with a fever that he thought might kill him and his uh his basic manager kept coming and pressuring him to take this movie he said had no interest in doing it zero and he doesn't remember ever saying yes but when he came out of this fever he was signed to direct this movie um it's called better watch out uh he is not so, the biggest fan but one of my favorite stories regarding this one was when we had bill mosley yes. on the show oh, and we wow. asked about this one and bill mosley was talking about how he got to set and he was looking at himself in the mirror and he was giving himself pep talks that he had to somehow overact beyond the brain bowl. Yeah. Like you've got to somehow act ahead of the brain bowl. Like your performance needs to somehow surpass right. the brain bowl. Yeah. I mean, that's it. No, th- this film has some interesting stuff. It's a little dull at times, but it's got, uh, it was direct video. It's got, um, so it's still the Billy Ricky storyline. We have Ricky now with his brain outside of his head from an experiment. <laughs> Okay, so it's more like a Frankenstein story in a lot of ways. Uh, he is uh, then following a clairvoyant blind woman, blind girl, who uh, is trying to get to her grandma's for Christmas. And he's trying to get to her first. I can't remember what the association is. It keeps saying Laura, the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting, most interesting to me was that it's got all these David Lynch regulars, like literally a star of Mulholland Drive, tons of Twin Peaks people. So if you watch carefully, you'll see that it's the same casting director as Twin Peaks and what David Lynch uses. And so I thought that was really fun. But I actually watched this. I did have a night watching this with Monty Hellman as he talks through all the things that happened. I just remember going, what? Yeah, he's not a big fan, but it was fascinating to hear his take on how things. And the main thing was that the lead actress had these uh, ticks that she couldn't rest her face, you know, and stillness would have all these ticks. And so a lot of the movie to make it work, he had to just work on relaxation techniques to get her to not basically be so kind of um, busy in her expressions, which I thought was interesting. But it's got Robert Culp in it from Great right. American Hero. So I remember you telling me about watching this with Monty and my favorite quote from that was you said that Monty said that um, this is the only movie that he came in on time and on budget with. So by all purposes, this is his best movie. Yeah, I think no, that's right. he said that. He, you're right. He said, this is my best movie. And I remember going, what? And he goes, because I came on time and under budget. Yeah, he actually saved money on it. But uh, yeah, it's very unlikely that he'd do it. It has some things, I think if you haven't seen, you have to watch it because it's it's pretty straightforward, but it's got these kind of bonkers moments to it. Uh 
And then now from here, we enter kind of bonkers to basically from here on out, it just goes bonker bonkers. We are now done with Ricky and Billy. Silent Night, Deadly Night for the initiation. I watched last year. So this is the one I'm kind of most familiar with. And I do have to say, you know how much I love Brian Yuzna. Yes, um, I, I love Brian All of his hot mess, what the fuck is going on, Glory. I love Brian Yuzna. Um, so this one, I can't exactly tell you the plot, except that we have a girl who is having all of these flashbacks. And then somebody goes into spontaneous combustion outside of her apartment. And then she meets somebody else who is also having all these flashbacks. There's a scene where they insert a giant larva, which we've been seeing Clint Howard carry around throughout the yeah, entire movie. Super, I, my note says Clint Howard weirdness means Becca loves it. Yes. <laughs> and so there's a scene where they insert this giant larva into her vagina. And then from there, her visions get even weirder. There's a cult. Um, there's a lot more with the giant larva. This one has crazy graphic graphic effects. Um, it gets kind of weird, like uh, you know, eyes wide shut, sex culty. Um, I think it's a I feminist cult of women wanting to sacrifice. I can't remember why they yeah. are sacrificing. It, it's all set in a very snowbound, very Christmassy uh, atmosphere of summer in Los Angeles. Uh, like, not it, there's not a single hint of Christmas in this movie and not a single hint that I don't even think it, pro- my guess is it probably wasn't made to be one of these. And then they retitled it. That would be, my I guess. think he may mention once like, but it's Christmas Eve and that's yeah, it. I, I, I don't I even know. It's, no it's decorations, nothing. It's definitely the least Christmas of all of them, but also one of the most bonkers. And, and it is fun. Uh, yes, no, it's never not fun. Really? Uh, and uh, the fifth one, uh, and usually these movies by the fifth, it's all over. Uh, but not in this case. The fifth one is The Toy Maker. Um, Silent Night, Deadly Night, The Toy Maker. 91. Starring Mickey Rooney playing Joe Pedo. And Clint Howard. But did I say Pedo? And there happens to be a Pinocchio-like boy at the end? Oh, yes. This is basically the Pinocchio horror story. Uh, this is uh, a guy who I've become obsessed with, and I'm not going to stop until I get him on one of my shows. His name's Marty Kitrosser. He wrote Friday 13th Part 3, and he directed this, a couple of the straight-to-TV things, and then every single Tarantino film, every one of them, from Reservoir to the, to the new one, he has been the script supervisor. So I'm like totally fascinated by this because he started like with these big things and then became a script super. Uh, and he's done super on a lot of other stuff. Like he does some of Eli Roth's movies. Yeah, um, no, I'm sure he's probably really he's done good. A lot of his movies now, but yeah, he's done every Tarantino. Yeah, I would love to have him on. Yeah, I just I'm very curious to talk. Uh, yeah, definitely. I've asked Jules before from the new Bev about him, um, but I'm super fascinated. And this has just the most awesome so basically there's a toy maker in town and his toys are starting to kind of have these evil purposes and they're really they're really out there creations and they're technologically and they're all designed by screaming mad george this one's produced by brian yesna and this i feel like they kind of go to town with the christmas idea and they go okay what if we make crazy toys that are out to kill children and stuff and eventually he's you realize mickey rooney's also trying to create a toy boy because he never had a child of his own. And so that's when we start getting the Pinocchio thing. This, fun died. I, I think it is something like that. And either way, it goes into this utterly wild place. And it is like, if as far as part fives go, it's probably my, like, I can't think of part fives that are, I just think it's really wild and fun. And it's the last 20 minutes of this. 
they are insane. Yeah, Scream Mad George is just a total god. He actually did the effects on Initiation, but there's a little less to do there than here because uh, he's got these all these like technological creations. But all the toys to play around with. It's a really rich horror area um, because there's like a scene with an airplane. I remember like a toy airplane. Like there's just a all lot sorts of stuff. Yeah, and on. some robot, full robot Android type stuff. It's just it's a pretty wild movie. And so I only found this when I they, they put out a DVD you know 10 years ago that had three four and five on it that was the only way you could get it i had all three and that's where i started watching them on i was kind of kind of enjoyed the back half of these more than i thought i would um because this is definitely the weirdest i enjoy four and five so i mean this is gonna be one of the weirdest like when you look at those five there's nothing really in common (laughs) with those five movies maybe one and two a little but not tonally at all Really, this is five distinctly different movies in one franchise. Uh, kind of wild. One of them will survive. Silent Night, Deadly Night. What, what do you, okay. do you think? I think that we should definitely start by crossing off two and three. Yeah, I, I think. I just don't think they can hold up. I no, I mean, two is fun and three is an interesting movie, but I, I, I wouldn't pick either of them. And I personally, you might not want to, but I don't, I don't think four can stay. It's got no snow. Oh, it's, got no okay. snow. it's got no snow it and no Christmas, but it's, it's not, a cool movie. It's not a Christmas movie. I will say if you are into bug horror, psychedelic, psychosexual, just weird, like. That's pretty much all our listeners, Becca. That is I know, all, right? all people listening to this. The color is so strong. <laughs> Check out Silent Night, Deadly Night for the initiation. I agree. But don't check it out as part of the Silent Night, Deadly Night. Just check it out as the lost Brian Usna madness. Um, then it's brilliant. Yeah, it probably would go better. What was the one we were talking about last week with the magician, the magic guy and the noir and L.A., the one cast a deadly spell? Oh, it cast a deadly it spell. might fit better in that world yeah. in a weird way. Okay, so one and five. That leaves one and five. One and Do five. we go classic killer Santa trope? Um, shocking audiences across the world, or do we go the toy maker, which I have to say, I find to be a much more riveting plot line. I, w- I mean, I think the way you decide something like this is you go to like, if one of them has Mickey Rooney, you go with the Mickey Rooney film. <laughs> like, that's what I'm doing. I'm, look, man, I think part five is the movie that people should see of these movies. I bet people haven't largely seen it. Everyone's seen one. One is a good slasher. It sets up this world, but it's also pretty ugly. And it doesn't it make is. me think feel Christmassy. It makes me think, think, oh, it's kind of sad at times and, and dark and twisted. Whereas no. the toy maker is just wild. I do have to say, I will probably never watch Silent Night, Deadly Night, the first one again. Because it is. It's an ugly film. It is mean-spirited. When I watched it, Punish. when I first saw it, I was very much like, you know, oh my God, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm watching this. But it's not one that I feel compelled to watch every holiday season because it's not fun. It's not like Krampus or Gremlins where I'm suddenly like, yes, I want to watch this over and over. Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. You're, I would you're right. Krampus and Toymaker are a good double because they're good both double. playful with the, the toys coming to life and Gremlins coming out and things like that. So I think I, I'm, I think we've done it. We have somehow, I can't believe we've agreed on out of five movies. I still uh, think about putting four back in there, but I will say... As far as Christmas movie goes, if that is our criteria, is what is the best Christmas movie of these five? The Toy Maker, all the way. So that, therefore, if Martin Kitrosser is listening, or if anyone knows him, tell him that he won and that we want to talk to him at some point. We want him on the Marty show. Marty Kitrosser, we want to talk. Um, but anyway, so that is it. Silent Night, Deadly Night. 
uh, the toy maker part five has won our movie fight, our last movie fight of the year. There probably won't be one in our, uh, we probably won't be fighting our number ones of the year off next, next week. So, uh, so we did it. Uh, this is a fun little holiday, uh, a bit of an epic episode this time because it's our last normal episode of the year. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it's not too long for all of you and had fun. Uh, but yeah, we will be back next week where we're going to count down our top 10 horror films of the year, our other horror stuff that discoveries and our favorite just film discoveries of the years, probably five or 10, uh, of our favorite, like, you know, older movies that we have discovered for me, I would have put like Winchell on that list, but now that we've just discovered it, I, I probably wouldn't, but, uh, so Excellent. thanks for that, Becca. Thank you. No problem. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. If you like this, definitely check out our Patreon show, Deep Cuts, um, where we usually pull like two or three extra titles that are just too weird, too wacky, or just extra shit we're watching um, and put it over there. Um, so please definitely check that out. But thank you so much to Fangoria. Thank you to everybody who's listening. And we will be back in two weeks with our countdown. And as David Cronenberg said this year, please rate and review um, because we need to get our ratings and reviews on iTunes. What movie was that? Uh, Disappearance at Clifton Hill. Uh, So actually, why don't we recommend it at the end of the show? If you haven't seen it, it was a new film this year called Disappearance of Clifton Hill, a murder, a mystery thriller. And David Cronenberg, the great director, uh, plays a podcaster. And, and at one point he says, please don't forget to rate and review in his uh, great Cronenbergian voice. And I've always wanted to clip that and end every episode. Uh, and I don't know if that one will make my top 10, but I really... Yeah, it's good. It's a good mystery. Yeah. No, I think people will dig it if they find it. So final, that's our final wreck for the day. So thank you for listening. We will see you for the finale show. Finale show. Colors of the Dark is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gold. Associate producer Jessica Soff of Amir and our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. Thank you so much, Ernie.